Thanks for watching today at wildwoodchurch.com. Now here's today's message. All right, good morning, Wildwood. Turn your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 8, verses 4 through 11 this morning. This is part one of Question Mark, titled Life in the Spirit. So if there's ever a sermon that I would want to come up here and be like, okay, Holy Spirit, what's the message? It'd be this one. And I'll be honest with you, I wrestled with this text. This is a difficult text. There, there was a moment when I said, I just need to quit because I, I don't feel competent to deliver and to preach through this passage. Thankfully, that was a stupid, fleeting thought. And the Spirit is gracious. The Holy Spirit's gracious. I think that he's going to help us today and enlighten us today. But just know that I, I, I entered this with a weight of um, uh, trepidation. You know, if, I, mean, I mean, on the surface level, we get it. But there's, there's something deeper here to Romans 8. There's something richer here. And I want to mine the depths of that and pull it out. Uh, this past week, I was in Seattle, had the opportunity to fly uh, to Seattle and be with some of our people, uh, Troy and Dina Simpson, and uh, their son, who married uh, Hannah. And uh, we, they got married on Mount Rainier on Monday. It was beautiful. It was amazing. Uh, great opportunity to be there. On the flight on Saturday, I was sitting next to two young ladies who had just come back. They were going back to Seattle from Chicago, where they attended a Christian conference and we began to uh, have a conversation. And I don't know, Romans 8 came up in the conversation and this law of spirit of life has set us free in Christ from the law of sin and death, which Pastor Matt covered last week. And they said, you know, here we are sitting on this 747 and we're about to defy the law of gravity. It's not that the, the Boeing 747 eliminates the law of gravity. But rather, there's a greater law called the law of aerodynamics that supersedes the law of gravity. And so here we are in this metal tube with wings, and we're about to fly 30,000 feet in the air, and we all act as if that's normal. We know the law of gravity is real and it's universal. If we jump off our house, we know we're going to hit the ground hard. And yet we get into this metal tube and we say, ah, the law of gravity uh, does not apply here. Why? Because there's a greater law that supersedes the law of gravity. It's the law of aerodynamics. We figured out that if you shape the wings of an airplane so that the air above it takes longer to pass over the wing than the air below it, and you go fast enough, then what happens is that thing, no matter how much it weighs, rises and can stay in the air. In a similar way, and all human illustrations will break down at some point, but in a similar way, the law of the spirit of life supersedes the law of sin and death. Now, Pastor Matt covered this last week in his sermon, but as I'm reading through this and preparing for verse five through 11, I realized there's a bunch of fours, F-O-R. And just as Pastor Matt said, when there's a therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. Same as when there's a for or a because. You have to ask, why does Paul say for? And I realized that what he's explaining in the next verses 5 through 11 is really expounding upon verse 4. So I want to go back to verse four and I want to read verses four through 11 and then we'll take two or three weeks, however long it takes to get through this passage and we'll let the Lord take it from there. Romans chapter eight, verses four through 11 says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. 
Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray. Father, we come into your presence humbly and eager to hear your word. And Holy Spirit, we are dependent upon you for life. All of life. I ask God that you would now tune our hearts and focus our minds so that we would hear your word and respond to it in a way that glorifies you and changes us. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse four, Paul says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now there's debate. What does Paul mean? The righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us. Now, just before that, in verse three, by sinning his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now, there's debate. Is it that Jesus, having fulfilled the law perfectly on our behalf, that that's what Paul means? Is because Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf and so then the law is fulfilled in us? Maybe that is true undeniably, but is that all Paul meant? Or is it possible that when God gave the law, he actually wanted people to live it because this is his holy and righteous standard, that he actually wants his children to live right and to live righteously. I think that that that's certainly in view. Now, when Paul says the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, what exactly does he mean? Well, I think that we see here in, in uh, Josh, I'm going to skip one verse and come back to it. Let's go to Romans chapter 13, verse 9. This is what Paul, if you think about what is the righteous requirement of the law? Well, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul boils down the, the commandments, at least commandments 5 through 10, in you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, where does he get that? He gets it from the Lord Jesus Christ, who in, um, in the great com- uh, commandment in Matthew 22 says that all the law depends upon these two commandments, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, so- uh, heart soul, mind, and strength, and that you would love your neighbor as yourself. So what's the righteous requirement of the law? Is it not to love God and love your neighbor as yourself? Couldn't we say that that's the righteous requirement of the law? And don't you think that the Lord gave us the law in order to show us what his righteous standard is? Now, the question that we must deal with and that Paul is taking care to to deal with is what do we do with the law? Do we throw it out because we are blood-bought, born-again, spirit-filled believers? Is the law irrelevant? Is the law no longer applicable To us, are his righteous standards, did they go out the window? No, I believe that the Lord has a vested interest in changing his children into the likeness of his son. The scripture speaks to that. That we are being made into the image of his son. We are being perfected. That the Lord convicts us of our sin. In other words, the law doesn't go away. The law is not moot. The law is simply fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's no longer by the law that you and I are saved, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, because we are saved and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and because we have been given new hearts, now we are able to obey Jesus. And not only able, but we're called. We're able and we're called to live righteously. Now, where do we begin? Romans 8, 1, praise the Lord, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we we fight from a place of victory. We fight from a place of identity, knowing that the law doesn't condemn us any longer. And yet, because of who we are and because of what the Lord has done for us, 
we are able to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law because of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Let's take a, a tour through the Old Testament just a little bit. Look at what Ezekiel 36, 27 says. And I will put my spirit within you. When did that happen? When did the, Holy Spirit, when, when did the Lord send his Holy Spirit? At the ascension of Jesus. And when does the Holy Spirit enter into an individual's heart? At salvation, at conversion, when you and I recognize that we cannot fulfill the law, Romans 7, we cannot fulfill the law in ourselves, and we, we call out to Jesus, and I will put my spirit within you, and what? And demand you to walk? No, I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Was God lying? No. So when, when, he, when he says to Ezekiel, long time before Jesus, here's a new covenant. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put my spirit within you and I'm going to cause you or enable you to walk in my statutes and obey my rules. What do you think the Lord expects of those who have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in them? To say the law doesn't matter to me? God's righteous requirements don't matter to me? Holiness doesn't matter to me? No. What he expects of those that are blood-bought, born-again, spirit-filled Christians is that we walk in his statutes and we are careful to obey his rules. Now, once again, we do that from a place of victory. The victory is already ours, right? It's already been established that you and I can't do this on our own, that Jesus had to do it for us. Now, let's go on. Deuteronomy 30, verse six. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. He's speaking to people that were circumcised in the flesh. And now the promise is the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring to what effect? So that, so that you can boast in, in some kind of marking, that, that you can walk around self-righteously? No. So that you will love the Lord your God, what? With all your heart and with all your soul and that you may live. We just read here in this passage that in the spirit, there's life. And those who are saved, those who are born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, the Lord has put his spirit in our hearts. He causes us to walk in his statutes, carefully obey his rules. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He put his Spirit in our hearts, he circumcises our hearts. So now what's marked about a Christian is not the flesh, but the heart. And the evidence of a changed heart is that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul. Now look at Romans 2, 29. Let's jump over to, to the New Testament now. And Paul, looking back to Deuteronomy 30, says, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. And let me, just, let me just add to that, not that I'm adding to scripture, but let me just pause here and say, no one is a Christian who is a Christian outwardly only. James would say that. But a Jew is, is uh, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, in other words, marked in the flesh, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. What's Paul's concern? You see, the Jews thought, well, I can, I, can, I can be right with God. I can live right by God by following the letter of the law. And Paul says, no, you're wrong. It's not the letter of the law. It's the spirit that circumcises your heart and changes you inwardly and causes you to love the Lord your God. And because you love the Lord your God, 
Because you love the Lord your God, then you are careful to walk in his rules. There, then you are careful to obey his statutes. Right? What's the mark of the Holy Spirit? Love for God that results in obedient living. Let's go back to the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31 through 33, or, or Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the new covenant declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. So far, the law is black and white. It's on, it's on parchment, it's on scrolls. And it's the letter of the law and it's, and it's look and it's perform. And he says, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be my God and they shall be my people. What age, what era was, was God describing when he referred to a new law, to a new covenant? The one we're living in. The covenant that was ushered in by the blood of Jesus Christ, who did what the law, what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. He, he put his spirit in us. He circumcised our hearts so that we would love him. And because we love him and because we know that there is therefore now no condemnation from that place of identity, beloved child of God, forever forgiven, forever made right out of that place of identity. Now we do what we obey out of love. Amen. Are you getting it? Let's look at Psalm 24, three and five. Oh, let me, oh, nope. Hebrews, sorry, Josh. Hebrews 10. So here's, here's the author of Hebrews goes back to that Jeremiah uh, uh, verse. He says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. So he's quoting now from Jeremiah and then watch. Here's the conclusion. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean. That sounds to me like Romans 8.1, like there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What's the picture there? Being baptized, dead with Christ, you're forgiven, you're raised up. The old is gone, the new has come. So the author of Hebrews concludes from that Jeremiah passage, Jeremiah 31, that the implication is, brother and sister, let us then draw near to God. Now, because you, you may hear me say, well, that those who are born again, blood-bought, spirit-filled, followers of Jesus, are careful to walk in his rules and obey his statutes, and you might, your, your instinct might go, ah, push away like, like, ah, because my conscience convicts me, right? Wretched man that I am. I, I know the thoughts I had last night and I hate those thoughts. And so you might go, ah, but no, the author of Hebrews says, because you have been sprinkled clean, because you have been set free in your conscience, draw near to God. Look at what James says about drawing near in James 4, 8. Draw near to God, and what's the effect? He will draw near to you. Right, what, is, what, is God des what, what does the Lord desire in this relationship? Intimacy, closeness. Our heavenly Father, I just want you to wrap your head around this. If, if flying in a 747 is remarkable, because you're defying the law of gravity, how is it not remarkable to you that the holy creator God desires that you would draw near and will, in, in response, draw near to you? How is that not remarkable? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now watch this. Here's, here's something. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, 
and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So James is warning, James is writing to people. He, he says, if a man claims to have faith, will that faith save him? He, James has in mind, he knows that the church will be f- filled with people, or at least will have people who are, are, are all up here. They know the right thing, they say the right thing, and yet their heart is, is far from him. They're, they're double-minded, right? So how is it that we draw near to God? We've had our hearts sprinkled. We, we, our bodies have been purified, right? We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. He's made us righteous, and he causes us to love the Lord. He circumcised our hearts. Psalm 24, 3 and 5. Josh, I'm all over the place, aren't I, man? You're doing a good job. Look, this is the question of the psalmist. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? In other words, who who gets to go and be close to this holy creator God? And who shall stand in this holy place? Is, Is this your thought? When you walk into this worship center this morning and you position yourself among the congregation, and you hear these songs of worship and praise, is this your heart attitude? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Do you have clean hands and a pure heart? If you have the Holy Spirit, the answer is yes. If you have been born again by faith in his son, the answer is yes. And so draw near, press in, because you have a clean conscience. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so you come in and you lift up holy hands. The audacity of that statement. And yet it's true. And why is it true? Jesus. Because Jesus did what we could not do. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. What is the righteous requirement of the law? That we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. And because of what Jesus did, brother and sister, you and I get to come in here today and worship with a clean conscience. Amen? Look what Paul said in Romans 6, 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. You see that? It's not outward obedience. This is the key. This this is the differentiator between the gospel and every other religion. It is not because it is not that you are obedient outwardly and, and you have you have dug deep and disciplined yourself and doggone it, you're gonna fulfill the law. No, you have been given a new heart. And the Lord has put the, the, the law on your heart and now out of a clear conscience and a circumcised heart, you desire to please him. You long to please him. Though you were once slaves to sin, you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Is that true of you? Listen, this is a heart check moment. This is, this is what I'm talking about, you know, Romans 8. One of the most profound, impactful, conclusive 
chapters in the entire Bible. And here we are in verse four. Is that true of you? Though you were once slaves to sin, you were completely, as Paul says in verse five, you lived according to the flesh. But now you have been set free. Is that true of you? Don't kid yourself. Have you been set free? Have you been made new? Is all of this just external religion? And you're just gonna buckle down and because you're a good citizen of the United States and as a Christian country, at least, at least we wanna think it is, uh, and that's, the, that's, what, that's, what, that's what makes your life better because you're, you, you wanna just be a, a good person and so you're gonna go to church? Or has the Holy Spirit come into your heart and fulfilled what was prophesied in Ezekiel and Deuteronomy and Jeremiah and changed you from the inside out and set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death and superseded that law by the law of the spirit of life. I still wrestle with Romans 7, present tense, pre-conversion, what Paul, what was in your mind. I still land on, it was his present experience. I, I think that when he calls out wretched man that I am, I hear John Bunyan, who in his memoir listed seven abominations that I still find in my heart. I wanna give you one of them. That sometimes I fail to watch for what I pray for. Let me just ask you, if I were to say, what are, what are the sins in your life? Would you be like, hmm, occasionally, I don't look for and expect what I've asked the Lord for. And I am broken over that, and, and I, am, I, I am constantly battling against that. I think now that I mention it, you're probably like, yeah, I see that, and, and yes, I recognize that sin, but my point is, the closer John Bunyan got to Christ, the more he realized how far he was from him. So when I hear Paul say, wretched man that I am, that's what I hear. Yeah, I said this a couple of weeks ago, I don't think Paul was, was struggling with the brothels. I think when he examined his heart, he goes, God, why, why do I still, why do I still covet? You know, he, he called himself the least of all the apostles. Maybe his struggle was, God, why are these guys, like, why did, why did you come to me last? Like, what if I had that, what, why, did, why don't I have that ministry? I don't know. I don't want to speculate too much. But I'm just saying that, that Paul, when he cries out, wretched man that I am, I see that in the present. And that's the sort of thing that I think he's getting at. And maybe some of you are there right now. Like the Lord has dealt with the big things in your life. But you still wonder like, God, why, why do I still doubt you? Do you know that's a sin? Does that rise to the level of sin in your life? When you think of sin, do you, do you equate doubt with sin? God, why do I still doubt you? When, when something doesn't go my way, why is my first instinct doubt? Wretched man that I am. So I still wrestle with Romans 7. But here's the point. Regardless of whether Romans 7 is present tense or his pre-conversion experience, the truth is the same. In Romans chapter 7, what is remarkable is there is no spirit. No mention of the spirit in Romans chapter 7. And so what this is describing, Romans 7, undeniably, is life outside the spirit. Life without the Spirit. And so whether it's present tense, Paul is, Paul, if it's present tense, Paul is saying, in my flesh, when I do things my way, wretched man that I am. If he's saying pre-conversion state, he's saying, when I tried to fulfill the law in my own flesh, wretched man that I am. And so the question is, 
What's the application? If you're in Christ, you don't stop with wretched man that I am. You, you don't grow comfortable, you don't stay there in wretched man that I am. One of the, one of the, one of the greatest objections to that interpretation of Romans 7 is the idea that somehow we would use Romans 7 to justify our sin. That we would use it as an excuse. And woe is me as a pastor if I allowed my congregation to hear that it's okay for you to sin against the Lord, wretched man or woman that you are. No, it's not a license to sin, it's a reminder to fight. Because you have the Holy Spirit of God. You don't stay in Romans 7. You can find yourself crying out, wretched man that I am, but then you jump to Romans 8.1 and to Romans 8.4. And Romans 8.5 and following. So Paul says in Romans 8.5, for those who live according to the flesh. There's that word for. So he, he said, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He's describing us. Those that are in Christ, those that can say, there is therefore now no condemnation for me. Those who can say, I have been released from the law of sin and death by the, the law of the spirit of life. He says, for, because, and this is why I think that, that all that follows here is explaining what he means in verse four. For, those who live according to the flesh. What does it mean to live according to the flesh? It means to be consumed by it. It means to be constrained by it. You in the flesh, those that are in the flesh are like the C1, are like the uh, uh, 747 standing still. C-130, Bob. <laughs> Same concept. You're like the 747 sitting on the tarmac. The law of gravity firmly at work. Constrained, controlled, consumed by the flesh. And watch, Paul is not, Paul is not exhorting, rebuking, instructing. He's explaining in verse five. He's explaining. Those that live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. It's what they do. Fish swim, and those that live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. The flesh is the epicenter of sin. You're consumed in sin. You're going to set your mind on things of, of sin. You're going to, your mind is going to be consumed with how do I get more of what my flesh wants. It's interesting that we just had the team come back from Haiti this week. And, or last week, and they talk about voodoo. And you look at Haiti, and did you realize that last night on the news that, that an American woman and child, a Christian missionary and her child were taken captive out of Port-au-Prince yesterday? And the United States issued a do not travel advisory, and our people just went there. We knew it was dangerous. And we went there to take the gospel. Right? Risk is right. Now, would we go today? Maybe not. But we recognize the risk. But these people came and they, and they started talking about voodoo. And they're like, we see this. We, we see the physical, we see it physically manifested, this demonic control over the Haitian people. We see the work of the enemy physically with our eyes. And it's this evil, dark, spiritual thing. And I just wonder, is Satan not at work among us? Satan only cares about the Haitian people. He, he's, only, he's only after, he's only working among the Haitian people. 
That's preposterous. So we just don't see it. Or we don't see it in the same way. What are the things that we see in our life? That, how, how do we see ourselves being consumed, living in the flesh, setting our minds on things of the flesh? Well, it's going to look differently for each one of us, but we are materialistic people. And what if God sees our shopping malls the same way he sees the witch doctor's shack? I was struck by that reality yesterday. And instead of all these icons and these, these chicken feed and, 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 and human skull and all this kind of stuff, he sees all the, it's all the shiny things. It's all the new things. It's, it's your life is going to be satisfied with more new stuff. It's convicting to me, I'll be honest with you. But those who, are, those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on things of the flesh, it's what they do. They're consumed with it. And Paul says, or but Paul says, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. So if you're born again, and you have a circumcised heart and, and the Lord has put his spirit within you, then your mind is consumed by things of the spirit. That's a sobering thought, is it not? I, I, think, this, I think this warrants a self-examination. If you took Romans 7 and Romans 8, 1 to say, ah, God doesn't care about my sin. And I can live however I want to live. And if last week and the week before that you walked out of here comforted in your sin, this is a reality check for you. This ought to be a wake-up call for you. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh and those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit. So where is your mind? That's a descriptor. It's not a command. This is not, this is not a statement. You ought to set your, things on, your mind on things of the spirit. No, it's a description of those whose hearts have been circumcised. Why? Because when he puts his spirit in us, he causes us to obey his statutes, to love him. Verse six, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Why does God care? You know, I had a conversation with a, a, a pre-wed, like premarital counseling couple months ago, a year ago, two, maybe two years ago. Time flies. And I, and, and I said, listen, why do you think the Lord doesn't want you to fornicate. Like why, why ought you to resist the flesh in this way? Not a bad impulse, it's a beautiful impulse and a necessary impulse in the context of marriage. So why, why does the Lord not want you to fornicate before marriage? Because it brings death because the Lord knows that it brings death. Why doesn't, he, why doesn't God want us to sin? This, this goes for across the board. Why doesn't he want us to covet and to steal and to murder? Why, because he's a prude? No, because he's for us. His holy standard is also for our good. And human flourishing happens when we obey, when we live according to his statutes and walk in his rules because he loves us and he wants the best for us, right? How many of you think that you're better fathers 
than our heavenly father. Raise your hand. You think that you're a better dad than he is, right? None of us. And yet we struggle with, well, God, why won't you let me do the thing that I know brings death? Father, why, why won't you let me do the thing that will destroy my life? You're such a prude, right? Why doesn't he want us to sin? Why does he, why does he give us the righteous requirement? Why does, he fulfill, why does he enable us to fulfill the righteous requirement? Because to set the mind on the flesh is death. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the, the whole LGBTQ agenda. Why, why, why do we take a position on this? Why don't we simply let love be love? Because the mind that is set on the flesh is death. But the mind that is set on the spirit is life and peace. What is the flesh? How do we know what is fleshly? Galatians chapter five, verses 19 and 21. says, now the works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious, they're visible, we can see, we know this, ready? Sexual immorality, it's acting out sexually. Well, okay, great, mine are just thoughts. Impurity, so acting it out in sexual immorality, thinking about it, impurity. Lusting, sensuality. Might step on some toes, but ladies, how you present yourself, men, how you present yourself, how you interact with others, sensuality, idolatry. Well, you could unpack idolatry and, I mean, include so much. Sports become an idol for people. Zip codes become an idol for people. Bigger house, nicer car, Boat, jet ski, motorcycle. Let me not step on my own toes here for a minute. All of these could be unpacked out of idolatry. These are the works of the flesh. Sorcery, crystals, crystals, burning the sage. I don't know if any of you, I don't know that any of you are wrapped up into this stuff, but you need, to, you need to cease and desist. Crystals and sage and this mysticism. No, I'm sorry. We have the Holy Spirit. Enmity, strife, divisions, dissensions. Oof. You think that the Lord cares about the unity of the church? Fits of anger. How do you respond when your kids do something that you don't like? When your wife does something you don't like? When the pastor says something that you don't like or does something that you don't like? Envy. Oh, where does envy come from? The flesh. I, I want something that someone else has and I hate them for it. Their job, their spouse, their looks, their health, their stuff, their intellect, their influence, drunkenness. I have no doubt that there are people in our church that, that this, is, this is real and present for you. You're addicted to alcohol, you're addicted to drugs. Works of the flesh. Orgies, pornography, I would add pornography to that. And things like these, look at that, things like these. Like maybe I didn't hit all of them, Paul's like. Maybe the one sin that I didn't hit up here that you're struggling with, things like these, okay? You're like, whoo, that's not, I'm not on the list. Things like these, those are works of the flesh. Gut check, heart check. Is this you? Is that where you are? 
consumed by these things. You're living in the flesh. These are the works of the flesh. You're living in the flesh and you set your minds on things of the flesh. What's the result? Death. Death. Why, why do I care? Because it leads to death for you. And for us, you realize we're, we're a body. And when there's cancer, when there's death among us, that it impacts us, it hurts us. I mean, this is why we're doing the You Are Not Alone men's rally next month, which I've been talking about since October. Why are there only 21 men signed up for this? This is hugely discouraging to me. Because let me tell you something. I have, I have been in the trenches in spiritual battle for the last year fighting for you. And 21 men have signed up saying, yep, we'll go. Come on. We're, we're going we're gonna to tolerate pornography and, and lust and sexual immorality in our church? And we're not going to deal with it? Come on, guys. Are we a family or not? Oh, I got the text, but didn't have time to, to type my name and my email and my phone number. Come on. The sign sheet's right outside, right? I, 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 don't, I don't wanna guilt people, but I'm, I'm asking you to fight with me. Praise the Lord that Galatians continues. But the fruit of the Spirit. So we know what the, we know what the works of the flesh are, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. How do I know I have the Holy Spirit dwelling in me? Because I see fruit of the Spirit in my life. Do you? If you don't, the answer is not, ah, I gotta try harder. Remember we I, I, I use that illustration of stapling fruit on a tree. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. No, you need to be born again and stop kidding yourself about your salvation. Be born again. Believe the gospel. Jesus says that he came to give life and life abundant. This is what we get from the spirit life, John 10, 10. Josh, there we go. The thief, the enemy, comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. He, 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 he does that in a very visible, obvious way in Haiti. Through voodoo and curses and witch doctors, the, the same enemy is seeking to kill, steal, and destroy you. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. There's life in Jesus. There's life in the Holy Spirit. There's also peace. Romans 5.1 says that, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, Remember, this is where we start. Justified by faith, not by works, but justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Ask yourself, are you in Jesus Christ? And is Jesus Christ in you? And if not, stop comforting yourself by the things that you're doing for him. All of your good deeds are as filthy rags, Isaiah says. Rather turn and submit to him and walk by the spirit. And you will set your mind on things of the spirit. Hebrews 10, 22, I want to come back to that as we close. Let us draw near with a true heart. I can't emphasize that more. God is not pleased. He's not, he's not mocked. He's not deceived as to the nature and condition of your heart. 
let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Those of you who don't know Jesus, I invite you to come today. I'm gonna stand right here. You ever wonder what I'm doing standing right here at the front? I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you to move. I'm praying over you as your shepherd, as your pastor. I'm waiting for you to move. Those of you who are in Christ, fight from a place of victory. Victory is yours already. Draw near to the Father, having been cleansed in your conscience by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? I should note that if you are in Christ and you need prayer, I'm also waiting for you. I'm also waiting for you. And if there's a line, our elders are gonna come. And we're gonna pray and we're gonna ask the Holy Spirit to enliven us, to challenge us, to rebuke us, to fill us, to cause us to walk in his statutes and be careful to obey his rules. Amen. Father, we love you and we thank you for Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, I thank you for grace. I thank you, Lord, that you are kind and merciful and you have given us the spirit who enables us to love you. And because we love you, we obey you. Lord, you are so good to us. What you ask us to do, you give us the means to do it. Lord, there's nothing but praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for watching online. I hope that this message has inspired you to greater faith, has encouraged you, maybe convicted or challenged you. We're grateful to be able to provide this content to you online, live and on demand. If you haven't done so already, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube so that we can get this content right to you as soon as we upload it. But you know, we believe that as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you need the body of Christ. You need the local church. And so if you're in the Quad Cities, let me invite you to personally join us in person for our gatherings on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. If you're not in the Quad Cities, I want to encourage you to go find a local church that teaches the Bible, that serves the community, that loves Jesus, that gives grace. Well, hey, thanks again for watching, and we hope that you were blessed.